Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back after that quick little message. Uh, that we always like to play at the top of the show. Again, my name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on Bostonian Rap uh, here at WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. As always, we have a lot uh, to dive into, so we'll just start right at the beginning. I have to say that Not all of my activity is politically related, but a good part of it is. And I really, (laughs) I, I have to say that some of the nastiest people that you want to ever meet or that you don't ever want to meet are, uh, fixtures or, newly minted members, uh, inhabitants of the political world, or, you know, people who might not necessarily be fixtures, but they've been around for a little bit, you know, somewhere in between. But any length of time uh, that you wanted to uh, to, kind of look at as to how long someone has been involved with politics, you know, it ultimately, it doesn't really matter. Because it just, unfortunately, it it attracts people who are just not very nice. And I just, I and I have to also say this, it also attracts a lot of cowards. And a lot of times, <laughs> uh, those cowards are mean. Uh, the mean people are cowards. Uh, so again, you know, you have people who've been around forever in the political world. You have people who it's their first foray, um, they're neophytes, and then, you know, they're people who have been around maybe not as long as some or others, uh, but they're not, they're not newbies. You know, they're somewhere in between. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that really, as I just said, it doesn't really ultimately matter how long someone has been politically active, how long someone has been in the political arena, because it's just, like I s- I'm like repeating myself, but a lot of what I'm saying right now bears iteration and reiteration because really just the people aren't nice. And, you know, I I don't want people to kind of 
finish listening to the show and say, well, she's she's down on all, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, politically connected people. That that's not true. And and I've said frequently on this show that there are some people who are elected officials who hold public office, and they're lovely. They really are. They have good hearts. They have good souls. And they're trying to do their very best to be that voice for their uh, constituencies. But the people who are basically, I mean, there's no way to describe them than really, uh, I mean, colloquially, (laughs) they're people who are just trash. And it's, I mean, I understand that politics, it's not, I mean, we're not talking about the Brady Bunch, right? It's a little house on the prairie. You know, things can get nasty. Things can get ugly. Uh, emotions can run high. There is a lot at stake. I, and I, I, I get all that, but I still think that there are some lines that shouldn't be crossed, And I think we're living in a day and age where people feel free to say and do whatever they want. And I just, I don't agree. I I think that there should always be lines that we shouldn't cross. There There should be boundaries. And I think that if we ignore boundaries then what we're saying is that we're no longer a civilized society. So it's it's obviously not just about please, thank you, and excuse me, and you're welcome, but it's also about just acting with grace, acting with decorum. And so I'm going to give a few examples So I am, once again, going to speak about Rayla Campbell. She is is the Republican nominee in Massachusetts for, for the Secretary of State office, and she has yet to present a platform. She has yet to indicate how her experience, or lack thereof, uh, the experience that she does have such that it is how that's going to enable her to do what really, quite frankly, is, is an incredibly important job. I, I just, I don't, I, I just, I don't understand. And I bring her up because I really, I want to impress upon people who might be listening, who might not reside on the political right, that there are a number of people on the political right that do not approve of what Rayla said at the convention. Now, again, for people who might be less familiar with Massachusetts politics, who might be listening outside, 
The Massachusetts Republican Party had its convention in late May. And it's it really it was it was hor- it was probably the worst convention I've ever been to. It was really a convention that reflected the personal values of the chairman, uh, Jim Lyons, and. You know, I I appreciate that that can happen to a certain extent, but it was really more like the Jim Lyons convention as opposed to the Massachusetts Republican convention. Uh, There were a number of people, uh, there were like three, four people, uh, and and I, I consider that a lot. When you think about it, when you think about overall the number of people who spoke, it wasn't ultimately that many. So when you have three or four who are actually from out of state, I I didn't quite understand that. I I would have preferred that the slate be people who are the, the slate of speakers be, of course, the candidates for office, but also if you if you're going to have non-candidates, there may be activists whose whose work speaks to the agenda and more importantly the core values of of the party that are not determined by one chairman or another. And that's that's certainly not what we had. Um, but what really kind of jolted me was the crudeness and the vulgarity of Rayla Campbell's speech. It was a horrible speech. It was meandering, and it didn't really seem to have a point. And at different parts of her speech, uh, such that it was, for lack of a better word, she would kind of throw in a comment about running for Secretary of State and what she wanted to do or what she would do as Secretary of State to kind of uh, clumsily tie everything together. Um, but it was it was a poor speech, and the centerpiece was an allegation of a crime that she is saying is happening in at least one or two schools in Massachusetts. So what she alleged was that a teacher or teachers, what is being taught in the classrooms is the the instruction of, of sex. So she is alleging that five-year-olds are being instructed to perform sex acts on other five-year-olds. And I just sat there and I said to myself, my goodness gracious, that's disgusting. And of course, she had no proof. And since the convention, uh, the goalposts have changed several times. So it went from teachers or teacher, more likely a teacher, teachers are 
instructing, encouraging uh, children to perform sex acts on other children. It went from that to inappropriate books are being found in the children's section of the library. Then it became drag queens are performing for children. And I just, I don't understand really. Like, I guess I do. Um, I have some ideas, but I'll keep them to myself. I was going to say is I, I don't really understand her raison d'être, you know, what, you know, what her end goal is. Again, I have some, but I actually do have some ideas, but I'll keep them to myself. But what I'll say is this. Rayla Campbell has never said anything really about indoctrination. And of course, what she said at uh, the convention, and I appreciate the argument of some who said that, well, if you're going to relate what she said, you might as well use the words that she said. And, and, and I see that because the language that she used is in large part what made the already vile allegation so much more, really, quite frankly, shocking. But I just don't feel comfortable. Uh, it's just, I will <laughs> give you the PG version, which is, again, she alleged that children are being taught, instructed, five-year-old boys are being instructed to, be, uh, to perform sex acts on other five-year-old boys. And, you know, when you, when you hear things like that, when you think that this is someone who wrote this down, included it in her, her speech, um, for lack of a better word, who undoubtedly practiced <laughs> saying this and probably, you know, thought to herself, okay, um, when I say this, I'm going to put my hand on my hip. When I do, when I, when I, when I say this, I'm going to uh, give, give the convention attendees a certain look when I, you know, she probably planned, you know, how she was going to present the content. And I just, I came away from the convention thinking, this isn't who we are. I, I talk incessantly about how the state needs to have a viable second party that we can't be a one-party state. And I talk incessantly, and I've done it for years, that we need to have a push and pull of opinions, that we need to have these different ideas But we're not hearing or seeing those ideas. And and the crudeness and the vulgarity, it's it really shrouds an actual problem. Because there is indoctrination. And 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 I'll 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 repeat 
what Rayla Campbell was talking about, she was alleging a crime. That's not indoctrination. Okay, let's let's be clear. But there is indoctrination in the schools. But as I've said on previous shows, I'm going to give specific examples. I'm not going to make outrageous, lurid allegations, claims. I think that, you know, we certainly have uh, the politicization of classroom content. I think that there are a number of educators who unfortunately do bring their political beliefs into the classroom and they don't allow, uh, you know, and if you, I mean, I'm talking in this in this particular context, of course, about children who are older, um, but they don't really allow for, for their students to have thoughts of their own. So I spent 13 years in a classroom. I taught in private language schools, and my students generally were 17 years old, 18 years old, 18, 19 years old, and older. On occasion, I, you know, every so often I would have a student in his 60s or 70s. Um, but generally, uh, my students were between the ages of 18 and 25, 18 and 26. And I will tell you that while the students were familiar with my positions on different issues that would be brought up when relevant to the lesson, I certainly did my utmost to make sure that the classroom felt like a place where all students could express themselves. And and that, I think, was particularly important, not only because that's what I think a classroom should be, it should be a structured marketplace of ideas, but also I was dealing with students from different parts of the world who came from, you know, different cultures, maybe practiced different faiths. So it was really important for me that no student left my classroom feeling like he or she did not receive respect or that he or she wasn't valued. So it, it was really, it was, imp- it was very uh, crucial, critical for me to make that effort every time I stepped into uh, an academic uh, setting, every time I stepped into a classroom. I don't see that as much as I should um, on college campuses. Um, I hear stories. I mean, I've been fairly fortunate, but there have been instances where I've, you know, I've seen or I've heard stories, and and I'm not as, um, I I see that other people are not as fortunate as I am, or who haven't had uh, educators as um, open and understanding of what the profession entails as as mine, Uh, my my educators, that is. So it's, there's that. 
And again, you know, one recent example that I'll point to is at um, my alma mater. So I went to Boston Latin School, and I shared this before on the show, but I'll, you know, I'll share it again. There was an exercise, and students were encouraged to express themselves, and there was one student who wrote about one of the Boston neighborhoods, and she talked about the residents of this neighborhood as being white and privileged. And essentially, you know, she as a minority, she, you know, as a, as a young person, this was an environment that maybe she didn't feel as comfortable or it was an environment that she juxtaposed to maybe another one, but it was done to show the shortcomings of this neighborhood, white and privileged. And, you know, obviously the teacher who who gave the assignment and any administrator who might have signed off on it um, you know, obviously, there, there are some ideas that they themselves hold. And I just, I think it's unacceptable. I don't think that any neighborhood should be disparaged. I don't think that anyone who comes from a certain neighborhood should feel bad or feel like he or she has to explain anything. Uh, so that that's one example uh, and this whole idea about, you know, white privilege, this this idea, you know, creeping into the classrooms, I'm not a fan. Uh, I don't like the idea of CRT, critical race theory. And so a lot of people who, they poo-poo a lot of us on the right when we express our concerns and they say, well, you don't even know what CRT is, do you? You can't even explain it, can you? And I actually can. I mean, it's just, it's really a fairly broad, I'm going to say new-ish discipline that forces, I think, a rethinking of different peoples in the United States and their place historically, traditionally, in the country. And there, from my, from my perspective, there's, there are set roles. And so you have white people who seem to be just the villain because the idea is that innately there's there's this idea of superiority that has to be untaught. And then there's the person of color who is forever the victim of this uh, white person, uh, of white people who have this sense of superiority, whether it's deliberate or it's unintentional. And so 
I've heard about exercises. I've, you know, heard words um, that that speak to this idea, um, and I, I I strongly disagree. I I think that we should be valuing all of our students, regardless of race, ethnic background. And, and I think that that can be done. It's not that difficult. I feel like there was a fairly decent job done when I was growing up. Could it have been maybe better in some instances? Maybe, sure, probably, why not? But I feel like I grew up with a greater respect and appreciation for my friends and their different ethnicities and you know, the different races than a lot of these kids today. So the, these, these are ideas um, that I, I don't feel comfortable with. These are ideas that I dislike. And, and I'll say something else about critical race theory. It's, it might sometimes be presented under a different umbrella, under a different banner. So, you know, you might have ethnic studies, an ethnic studies program. And I've what I've been able to glean is it's the teaching of certain ethnicities, uh, the, the history, the culture, that might not normally be taught or might not be taught, taught as much. And prima facie, I agree with that. I, I mean, it's it's important for students to go to school. If I had children, I would want my child to know. If I uh, children, I would want my children to know about the many wonderful contributions that Asians, for just to take an example, have made to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts that have made to uh, very you know on the on the most local level possible, like uh, municipally speaking. Um, in the contributions to Boston, uh, if, you know, or, or what, rather, uh, Asians have contributed to to this country. I, I do think that that's important, but there's a focus on certain races and certain ethnicities. And so I, I just, this whole idea about multiculturalism, which I think is kind of like, the the forebear <laughs> of all this the 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 kind of the 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 ancestor the 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 grandpa the grandma of uh, this this kind of idea of critical race theory or gender stu- uh, ethnic studies program I I just I'm not on board you either teach the children and encourage people period to respect everyone or no one okay so those those are those are a couple of examples i do think that there is a push to treat children as adults in different ways and you know and i remember i'll give you a very clear example i remember years ago i mean we're we're going back quite a number of years and i remember seeing a little girl like 5 or 6 and she was wearing. She's she was very cute, and she you know she, she looked like she was you know well taken care of. 
but she was wearing an outfit that I would expect to see on someone older. And I, I mean, maybe I'm a little old fashioned, but I just, I think kids should be allowed to be kids. They should look like kids. Uh, I mean, they they don't have to run around all the time in jeans and, and, and a t-shirt and, and, and a pair of kids. But I think that, you know, wearing leopard print pants and it, it just, it really depends on the age. And so I'm really, <laughs> um, you know, like styling the hair in a certain way or wearing makeup. I myself didn't wear makeup to, to school, to high school until I was in my mid-teens. And even then I didn't wear too much. I mean, to be fair, I mean, Boston, you know, a lot of women in Boston don't tend to wear makeup. You know, we don't tend to wear makeup, uh, which is, is actually kind of nice. <laughs> but it's, it's just to say that I, I, I think that we should let our kids be kids. They should look like kids. They should be exposed to content that they can comprehend given their age and that would be beneficial for them to know. So I would say that it's not new that we, in some instances, in some contexts, have been treating our children like many adults, which I definitely, again, don't agree with. But I think that it's taken a turn. Uh, you know, drag queens, I I, I like drag queens. I, I think that, uh, you know, as an adult going to a show, I, I think that it's uh, it can be a, a very interesting, very theatrical, uh, very artistic way of one presenting himself, right? I, I I I think it can be a lot of fun. I I think that it can be a witty commentary on you know the roles that that were assigned in society. But I think that drag queens should be for adults. I think that five or six year olds seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds. I, I don't know if drag queens, I, I, I just, I don't, I say I don't know. I guess that's, a, it's, <laughs> I do know. <laughs> it's, I don't, I don't agree with uh, a story hour. I don't, I, I just, I don't think our children should be exposed to everything right away. I think that there's, we always talk about how there's a time and a place. And and I think what we mean is that, you know, sometimes you, you have the opportunity to say or do something and other times no. But I'm going to extend that truism. And, and you know, when we talk about time, I'm going to extend it to mean you know, age. I'm going to kind of shove that under this <laughs> umbrella, this, you know, kind of broader concept of time. I, I just, I think that, again, I have no 
problem with drag queens, but I don't think that five or six year olds, seven year olds, I, I don't see the purpose, the utility. Um, I am more interested in children at that age <laughs> learning shapes and colors and numbers and learning, you know, starting to learn social socialization, you know, how to work with, you know, each other and doing little things like, I don't know, cutting a piece of paper and, you know, putting glue on it and then sticking it on another piece of paper and, you know, helping each other do something like that. But I just, I, I don't think that it's age appropriate. Having said all that, I'm not going to, uh, you know, in regard to drag queens, I'm not going to... I'm not going to go and bust up an hour, try to bust up an, uh, a drag queen hour. Not that, again that I approve because I don't. I just said that I don't and I explained why. But I think it's more effective to talk to the library, have a sit down with the group that's doing it, and just really kind of putting forth my idea, my perspective, my stance, and, and giving reasons why. But what Rayla, to jump back to Rayla, what she has done is she's turned this into, a, you know, a, a pastime. But again, you know, let's bear in mind that the goalposts have changed and, you know, a week or two from now, uh, something else could be added to the list, and so it would be, it might become oh well in libraries they're doing this and this is inappropriate for the children. It's I I don't really see her utility. I don't as as uh, an activist <laughs> as a candidate. Uh, first of all. As I have said on this show and on other shows, what she said was disgusting. What she said was untrue. Because if such a thing were taking place in a school, if, I mean, she made a serious allegation, then she would have been able to present proof. She would have been able to present proof right there at the convention because she was asked by journalists, couldn't do it. But this, this, this flurry of activity that she has engaged in since then, I, I just, it's, it's ridiculous. And it doesn't, it doesn't tell people what she's going to do as Secretary of State. And 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 the skill set that she would be able to rely upon to be able to do activity X or Y or Z. There's again, there's no platform, and so it's it's infuriating. It's not, and I almost said discouraging, but it's not, it's not. It's 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 infuriating because 
the state of Massachusetts deserves better. The state of Massachusetts deserves a plurality of ideas. And having more than one active, vibrant political party brings that about. And so when you have someone who is running for office, any office, but particularly one that has such great impact on our lives, it's that this is what (laughs) this particular candidate, this individual's gauging in uh, her pastime, which she's doing, it's, it's disgraceful. You have other candidates that, you know, and it, and at the end of the day, it, it doesn't really, <laughs> I mean, it, what I started talking about at the top of the show is that, you know, you meet a lot of people in politics and you just kind of walk away from your encounters with them shaking your head. I mean, there are others you know, Tanya Fernandez-Anderson, who sits on the the Boston City Council. She is the District 7 counselor that, you know, encompasses, among other places, Roxbury. And for those who don't know, Kim Janey held the position before her. Uh, before Kim, it was Tito Jackson who ran against Marty Walsh. Uh, in 2000, 2017. And it's just, I, I look at Tanya's behavior and, and it's it's also disgraceful. I also think it's shameful. Um, it's, it's a little worse in some ways because she's actually an elected official. She's not a political hopeful. She's actually a city, uh, you know, a sitting a sitting uh, politician, she holds office, but she's she's made a string of comments about the racism in Boston that she said she had one post on Twitter and she was decrying the racism and and how horrible it is here and that the attitude and, and the 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 actions of others have resulted in her saying, well, I, I, I will have to be a barbarian, you know, you know, you have forced me into this. She said something to that effect, and it, you know, it made its way around uh, Twitter in the Boston political world. And I remember thinking, my goodness gracious, are you are you for real? And I, I just, I just kind of sat back and, and I just had to read that and reread that. And that, you know, it's another thing I want to say too, because we have dispensed with please and thank you, which I argued at the top of the show is so very important to at least maintaining a semblance of civilization. Um, it's it's kind of like it's become the wild, wild west and anything goes. 
and I'm seeing and hearing things from candidates, and it doesn't matter what letter they have after their names uh, from candidates or elected officials that I never dreamed I would see or hear. And, you know, speaking specifically about Tanya, I mean, you have, people have to know that Boston City Councils are extremely well paid. They're paid over $100,000 a year. And there are, I would say, at least five or six governors in this country that don't make as much as Boston City Councilors. And so for Tanya to talk about racism as though it, it, it hangs over everything in Boston, as, as though it hangs over everything that is said and done, it's, I, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know what to say because it's, it's, well, if it's so bad, then how did you get elected? If it's so bad, then why, you, why do you hold a job where, quite frankly, you don't really have a whole lot of accountability? <laughs> you don't really have to be, you don't really have to uh, be responsible vis-a-vis the people. Not that that I agree with that and not that I think that that's really what the role entails. It's very much the opposite. But we've come to look at the Boston City Council uh, as ceremonial. I mean, that's the widespread view. And so we let a lot of these city councilors get away with just throwing up pictures on social media or making outrageous comments, behaving outrageously, egregiously, in chambers during a meeting or a hearing, you know, and it's just, it's got to stop. You know, if you think, you know, message to Tanya, you know, she thinks that Boston is really that racist, then just step down. Step down, let there be a special election, pack your bags and leave. Now, that doesn't sound very generous, but She's in a position, on a highly desirable position, she's in a position to do a tremendous amount of good. And all she's doing is decrying the unbelievable amount of racism in Boston. And it's just, <laughs> I, I don't really know what to say. And, you know, you, you, of course, have other people in the political arena. And it's, it's sad because you, you look and you, you, you listen to what they have to say. And you, and you always kind of think to yourself, 
that these people, regardless of what they are actually doing in the political world, even if it's just a volunteer, and I and I don't mean to say it like that, just a volunteer, because volunteers are <laughs> they are so darn important. But even if you're uh, a volunteer uh, for a campaign, it's you have the potential to do so much good. And to really bring about solutions to to crises, to you have you have the potential to to bring people together. You have the potential to make someone who doesn't want to get out of bed want to do so. I mean, there's there's so much good that can be done. But as I said at the top of the show, the you know people just don't want to be nice (laughs) people don't want to be nice and people want to be petty and it's not about whining or crying or you know just just slamming people or disparaging people just to do so no it's it's just it's really it's it's about making a commentary it's about, for my part, calling out, decrying the lack of standards, the lack of boundaries, the lack of decorum. It's me saying that I don't appreciate this this concept of anything goes. No, anything doesn't go. Now, we're almost to the end of this hour. It always goes by so darn, gosh darn quickly. Um, I do want to take a quick break. For those of you who are just tuning in, my name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on Bostonian Rap, uh, WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. Um, But let's go to a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to finish out uh, talking about this topic And uh, we're going to try to end on uh, what I hope is a positive note. Papa, why can't we telegraph while riding a horse? Son, there ain't no one to blame but Jeffro. He was riding old Betsy the Stallion, tip-tapping away at his telegraph, when blam, ran right into the side of the saloon. Well, if Jeffro can't do it, neither should you. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Grassroots Baseball's mission is to promote and celebrate the amateur game around the globe with a focus on growing interest and participation at the youngest level. The overarching goal of Grassroots Baseball is to work to give back by providing inspiration, instruction, and equipment to help ensure more children have the opportunity to learn, play, and enjoy the game. To learn more about Grassroots Baseball, you can visit www.grassrootsbaseball.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. This is WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. And so on today's show, I have been really kind of lamenting 
the lack of of grace and the lack of magnanimity that marks, unfortunately, uh, much <laughs> of the political activity that I am currently seeing. And, you know, let me be clear. Let me reiterate. I started off the show by, you know, just repeating myself. But as I said then, it's these, these, these are things that need to really be kind of hammered home, these points. There's never really an excuse to act in a classless manner. There is never a justification for dishonoring the office either that you're running for um, or that you may hold. I, I just, it's, it's a shame. It's sad. And so before I went to break, I was talking about the behavior that I saw from one of the Boston City Councilors that I just really, quite frankly, didn't like. I can point to another Boston City Councilor, and I, I <laughs> spoke about this uh, a lot, uh, Kendra Kendra Hicks. She's going by Kendra Lara. Uh, when she was elected, she said I would go by Lara. Uh, she represents uh, the District seat, District 6 seat on the Boston City Council, and she has made a string of anti-Semitic comments. And uh, very recently, she made one that <laughs> made national news, and she talked about a ruling that she didn't like uh, relative to BDS in Arizona. And so I, I, I talked about this on on a recent, very recent show, and she referred to the Zionists shaking people down. And it's just, again, it's it's ugly behavior. It's inappropriate behavior, outrageously, egregiously uh, inappropriate. And, and it kind of makes you wonder, like, what's what's going on? And and I think really, kind of the key is for people to say, look, you're my elected official, or you're running to be my you know, my voice, you can't act like this. I think, it. I think, you know, this is, is a wonderfully unique society, whether we're talking national, state, or on a municipal level. It's wonderfully unique. It's wonderfully singular. And that it always comes back to the people. And I think that we need to kind of stand up and say, well, this is what we expect and this is what we deserve and this is what we're not going to tolerate. I think we need that. And then you have behavior that might not be as crude as what I initially started, uh, started to describe, was describing, or might not be as hateful 
uh, as I went on to describe or have been describing all along, arguably, right? Um, But it's still behavior that's immensely disrespectful. And so we have elected officials now who will block their constituents over a difference of an opinion. Now, don't get me wrong. (laughs) Speaking of the wild, wild west, people think that they can, and speaking of etiquette and decorum, people think that they can say whatever they please online. And I think a lot of it derives from this belief that, well, I won't have to face that person. I won't have to look that person in the eye. So I can really do and say as I please. That's not true. (laughs) That is not true. There's this word netiquette, which of course we all know. And I, I think that that word is superfluous because I think that how we interact with people in the real world is how we should act with them online. There should not be uh, a difference. But to get back to my point in the last few minutes of, uh, of today's show, I think it's incredibly disrespectful to block, for an elected official to block his or her constituents. Now, constituents, the public, members of the public don't have a license to say whatever they want. And speaking of crossing lines, cross lines. But, you know, as an elected official, you you have to understand that there's going to be criticism or that you might be asked a question or that you might be challenged. And I think that as long as it's done from a res- respectfully, from a respectful, uh, you know, in good faith, in good faith, why don't we just phrase it like that, respectfully, in good faith, I think that that's okay. <laughs> and I think that's expected. We have now uh, politicians, whether it's on municipal level, state level, or our federal level, and they honestly expect to hold office and not hear any criticism. And and one of those people, I would say, is Ayanna Presley. Ayanna loves to take selfies, and that's great. That's wonderful. I think that that shows, you know, when you have elected officials who who do selfies or who take pictures, and, and, and most of them do, uh, with constituents, I, I do think that that's nice because it does show that, it, it, you know, it, it kind of gives the impression that, you know, that elected official is approachable, is accessible, and, and I think that that is important. But I think that with Ayana, if it's not someone asking her for a selfie, I have to wonder sometimes how interested she is in hearing what that person has to say. And she's another one. Uh, well, I, I think she might have blocked somebody, but I'm not sure. Um, but I do know that what she does do, which she has done, is, you know, she's held town halls, but she limits who can participate in the town hall. And and for me, that's kind of another form of blocking somebody because you you only want to hear what you want to hear. And I do think that that's disrespectful because you're you're trying to squelch someone's freedom of speech. You're you're 
sending out the very definite message that a person can only say these certain things, and that's unacceptable. You know, Mayor Wu has has done it with, uh, you know, turning off the comments to to some of the to some of the things that she posts online. So, I mean, again, I think that the political world is a very hard one to navigate. Uh, it's a very difficult one to navigate, indeed. And I think that. It would be, you know, because you have a lot of big personalities, you have a lot of egos, but I think that would be a lot better and a lot more would be, good would be done uh, for the people if people focused, if if people in the political arena focused on uh, just the basics and we're starting with being nice, at least faking it. Uh, and, and I'll talk more about this, um, but that's all we have time for. Again, you've been listening to me, Rachel Meiselman, on Bostonian Rap. I look forward to hanging out with you next week. Bye-bye for now. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.